Hello, I'm Amanda Taylor, and this is My First Name is Agent, a regular report of my journey to watch all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm doing some special edition episodes and revisiting all the Spider-Man movies from before there even was an MCU. Today's topic, Spider-Man 2. This movie was released June 30th, 2004, which happened to be a date when I was attending a week-long church camp and couldn't escape to the movie theater. My best friend claims that she heard me crying one night about this injustice, but I don't think that's true. I did, however, cry a whole bunch while re-watching it for this podcast. Spider-Man 2 is largely thought to be a pretty much perfect superhero movie. I think the standards have changed since we collectively made that assessment, and while we were watching it, I was struck most heartily by the fact that this movie is A, grounded, not gritty, and B, very conceptual. There are a bunch of scene transitions, a cut to black, a freeze frame, and a fade that remind me of when my sister first discovered film editing in sixth grade. There are two instances where characters talk to the deceased spirit or memory or something of their father figures, and the scene where doctors attempt to remove Otto Octavius's mechanical arms is shot exactly like a monster movie. There's a lot going on here. Sam Raimi is clearly pushing the limits of what they'll allow him to do, and it surprisingly works. The main theme for the boys is fatherhood. Harry misses his father so much he has turned to vengeance. Peter confesses to Aunt May about what happened the night Uncle Ben died. Peter again finds a scientist father surrogate who turns evil. J.J. Jameson is proud of his conventionally hot son. There are also endless children throughout that get to interact with their hero and maybe father surrogate also, Spider-Man. There are seriously so many kids in this. Kids that get a private audience with Spidey and have those experiences their parents probably won't believe them about later. It's actually sweet, and of course speaks especially to Peter's character that he just talks to the kids, telling them to eat their vegetables and play safely. Peter's struggle with his responsibility as Spider-Man is the other big theme of the story, and when he decides he deserves more than the life of a hero, it goes pretty pear-shaped. The action takes a big break in the second act as he just goes around like being a guy, but it kicks into high gear again when a car comes through a cafe window, and of course, with the famous train scene. The high stakes of an elevated train careening through Manhattan and possibly crashing into what appears to be the middle of a city street is great cinema, but as Colin put it, that's simply not a thing. So sorry to anyone who expected to visit that particular site on their Spider-Man sightseeing tour. You can, however, go to the Joe's Pizza location where they shop because I've been there and they have a sign up that says location used in Spider-Man 2. But hey, New Yorkers still get their big moment in the train when the citizens of the Big Apple try to step in front of Spidey to save him from Doc Ock, and it kind of works for like a second. It's actually really interesting that these movies choose to do this so consistently. No other superhero movies really feature a general populace who is so inspired by the actions of the hero that they step into hero roles themselves. I mean, sure, there are sidekicks doing that, but these are just like people. Spider-Man has that unique effect, and the movies choose to highlight it, which I think is lovely. There are also a bunch of fun, surprising, semi-distracting cameos in this movie. Asif Manvi, who played Uncle Monty in the latest series of Unfortunate Events, Emily Deschanel from Bones, Majena Tova, aka Zelda from The Magicians, Joel McHale from Community, Bruce Campbell from a bunch of stuff, notably his zombie things with Raimi, uh, Vernessa Ferlito, who I know from Graceland, and someone I had never noticed was in this movie before, Daniel Day Kim, aka Jin Kwan from Lost. I don't know if it is clear to my many fans and listeners, but as I have aged and Spider-Man has reversed in age, I have become more and more attached to Mary Jane Watson as a character, an icon, a hero, and a role model. Mary Jane has such an evolution in this movie. 
First off, she stops color boosting her hair to this insane shade and lets the natural red rain. Her clothes are legitimately enviable in this movie, and someday I will own that brown dress. She dates John Jameson, the hero, because she definitely has a type, but she's also trying to draw Peter out. Like, look at me with my fancy astronaut boyfriend who went to the moon, but I'd drop him in two seconds if you gave me a sign. She clearly actually likes John and sees a way to continue her shooting star of success by marrying rich and famous. This is a total MJ move, to be this shrewd, calculated, practical. She's playing Cecily Cardew on Broadway, which is the greatest part of this movie, in my opinion. And okay, yeah, it influenced my life in major ways. The funny part is that they use specific double life lines from the show to illustrate the Peter situation, but they're so randomly chosen. The first one, about being unable to forgive the Ernests for their bad behavior, is the final scene of the show. Peter is really, really late when he finally shows up to the theater. He, like, missed the entire show. Then, later, it's the I am glad part when she spots him, which is quite early on in the show, but as Colin pointed out, she's quite unprofessional to be on stage, and let me reiterate this, on Broadway and look into the audience and forget a line. Get it together, MJ. Her speech after she leaves her wedding and shows up at his door makes me so emotional. This line, but can't you respect me enough to make my own decision? It's such a great moment for her to assert herself and make the point that it doesn't matter what the risks are. It doesn't matter what the situation is either because the Green Goblin kidnapped her even when they weren't together, as did Doc Ock. So, she continues, it's wrong that we should only be half alive, half of ourselves. Isn't it about time somebody saved your life? And I cried, I cried. I mean, the final line of this movie is Mary Jane saying, go get him, tiger. And you can imagine how I reacted to that. Until next time, on My First Name is Agent. <laughs>